0: I'm not sure if it's necessarily part of the neurodivergent journey or not. But when I started accepting that creativity is part of play, that it's it's just for our brains to have fun and enjoy making things, that changed everything for me. So I'm not sure if that was necessarily like wrapped into realizing I was neurodivergent, but that was something that I was learning around the same time that I was realizing I was neurodivergent. This is the neurodivergent creative. Spicy brains unpacking all the shame. It's time for you to come be creative with Kaylin Fisher as your host. And creative coach will change your approach and tell you a joke to lighten your load and help you along or sing you a song. Hello, Neurodivergent Creatives. Today's a very special episode. It is episode 100. And in honor of episode 100, (laughs) I have crowdsourced 100 questions for an Ask Me Anything episode of the Neurodivergent Creative Podcast. So without further ado, I'm gonna hop aboard and start answering these questions. So I'm gonna start with the easy ones. So... (laughs) I'm going to start with like kind of the favorite things or like personal preference type questions. So beach or mountains. Uh, My answer to this is very large and convoluted and involves like existential crises, but mountains because the beach is too sandy and it's just gritty and uncomfortable. Okay. Uh, Favorite show right now. Bob's burgers. Favorite food. Sushi. Sushi. Favorite outfit. I have this red floral dress that is super comfy and looks super good. So we're going to go with that. Favorite dessert. Tiramisu. Favorite books. That is difficult because I like many books. Um... I'd say the most recent, like, voracious read that I had was probably The Extraordinary Series by T.J. Clune. Highly recommend. Favorite music. Hmm. My music, <laughs> my musical tastes are, um, like, late 90s, early 2000s, like, top 40. Kind of pop punky, emo-y, here and there. Uh, Bare Naked Ladies. Kesha's rainbow album and forward like empowerment kind of Kesha rather than like party Kesha because party Kesha was happening when I was in college and I was like not partying. Uh, So I kind of missed the Kesha boat there, but got into her later. Uh, And also like Lizzo, Megan The Stallion, 21 Pilots. I don't know that you could pin it down. I don't know. I can't just tell you a genre. But I like all of those. What is your favorite pie? Anything that is not pumpkin pie style. I do not like the kind of mushy, mushiness of a pumpkin pie or like a sweet potato pie, even a, a pecan pie, pecan pie. I say pecan, unless it's a pie, then it's a pecan pie. Um, hashtag born in Tennessee. Mm, but basically any type of like fruit or like a meringue type pie, I'm pretty into. It's pie, right? Just That's delicious. What is your favorite flower or plant? My monstera and my orchids are my favorite plants and my pothos. All my plants. All of the plants that I have are my favorite plants. The end. What's your favorite bug? Uh, butterflies and bees pollinators, but nice pollinators. I think maybe like, I don't know, if mosquitoes technically pollinate, I don't care about them. Uh, What's your favorite comeback for the haters? My favorite comeback for the haters is not noticing them and continuing to live my life. What's your stance on pineapple on pizza? Pro, sweet or savory? Depends on my mood. Given the choice, I will usually go savory. Sometimes if I'm in the mood for sweet, that's what I want. It's, I feel like that's how mm, tasting things works. But overall, savory. Favorite content creators, speakers, etc. That you follow. Um, lately, I have been really enjoying. And I looked up. I looked up names and handles because <laughs> otherwise, I'd be like uh, the girl who does this and the guy who does that. Um, so, Sarai Marie who does the Veronica videos about like workplace boundaries and quiet quitting. I really love her content. I'll stop and watch it. Uh, Bo Burnham, which I actually have an episode like about Bo Burnham coming up. Stay tuned. Uh, Jimmy Sowell. Sowell? Don't know. Jimmy uh, goes by the username nerdork who does the kind of like, I understood the assignment. Did the assigner of the assignment understood who they were assigning the assignment to voice? Uh, I just love him. And Elise Myers. I've had two dreams about Elise Myers where we're just friends and we just hang out and I have her phone number. It's wonderful. Elise Myers, if you're watching this, I love you and we should be friends. Coffee or tea? And why is the answer iced coffee? Uh, The answer is iced coffee because it is superior but also matcha and also chai and also hot drinks in the winter, but usually iced coffee, specifically cold brew because it's less acidic. And now that I'm 35 and I have stomach problems, I have to drink less acidic coffee. (laughs) Do you prefer hot or cold weather wise? And what's your favorite season and seasonal activities? Great question. I prefer the non-extreme weather. So I like it warm or cool rather than hot or cold. My favorite season is like the first few weeks of fall, like September into October. Um, while we have like pretty crunchy leaves, but it is not dark all the time yet. Once we hit the daylight saving time, time change, I am not having the best time. What are your peppers of choice for your spice rack? This is a great question. Uh, can't really go wrong with like cayenne, your standard guys. But I also use hot chili oil or chili crisp or like gochujang or sriracha in a lot of things. I like spice. What flavor of jelly goes best with peanut butter? Grape. I will also do like a, any type of berry. So like blackberry, raspberry, strawberry. But like classically, I just... I like grape. Okay, that was it for the easy questions. Now I'm going to get into more like questions about the podcast and creativity and neurodivergence and stuff. So podcast questions. How do you select your podcast guests? Uh, Sometimes I just have a friend and I reach out and I'm like, hey, come on my show. and Let's talk about this thing. And so I've done that. Sometimes I'll go into like collaboration or networking groups and find guests in there just posting like, hey, I want to talk about these topics. Is there anybody in here who's an expert? Would you like to come on my show? And sometimes people pitch me and they're like, hello, I am an expert in such and such. Would you uh, like me to be on your podcast? And then I'll say yes or no. Who was your favorite guest speaker? I've had a lot of guests. And I think that my favorite guests to have are my clients, Because I get to interview them a little differently, like from a different perspective than when I'm coaching them. And so I can kind of shout out their wins and their growth and all that fun stuff. And I really, I just love talking to my clients and seeing all the changes that they've made. And I help them do that. So it's a little selfish, but I also love shouting them out. If you could interview any person from history, who would it be and why? So difficult. Uh, I have no idea. Because I feel like you should pick like some sort of historical important person, but like realistically, probably just my grandmother. Does that count? I think it counts. Grandma. I'm talking to grandma. I need to interview her for my memoir. How did you get started with the podcast? Um I was like I should have a podcast and so I figured out how to make a podcast and then I made a podcast. Um shout out to Angie Jordan who has like courses and all sorts of like products and services to help people with their podcasts. I took one of her courses to learn the basics of like what I need to talk about and tools to publish and stuff. And she has answered a lot of questions for me over the years. So Angie Jordan, shout out. What's your favorite Neurodivergent Creative Podcast episode? Mm, That's so difficult. Partly because once I record them, I kind of forget what I talked about ever. Um, But honestly... I think one of my favorites is Motivation is Not Like a Muffin. This is literally the third episode I ever did, and I like it because it talks about diet culture and all the fucking problems with it, and that single episode has made so many people feel seen and heard and validated in their struggles with diet culture And I honestly think that in like the self-help space and the coaching space, we need to be talking about how, how just everywhere diet culture is. And if you are in recovery from an eating disorder, it can be tricky to navigate that and to make sure that you are getting supportive advice and coaching from people that you trust while also managing the triggers that come with frequent comparisons to diet culture, weight loss, things like that in those spaces. Because that's one of the number one goals people have is weight loss. And when you are in the position of not not aspiring to weight loss, you find yourself on the outside of a lot of conversations. And there's not There's not really a protocol for how to deal with that, which is why I make my spaces like I will not coach on weight loss. I will not help you lose weight. I will help you love your body right now or at least be neutral with your body. I will help you navigate um, getting back into an exercise routine after a rest period without re triggering your eating disorder. Like, we can work on a lot of things related to body and weight and diet, but I will not ascribe to diet culture ever. Who are the human beings on my podcast guest wish list? So many, so many. And yet, also, I forget every person ever right now. Um, I would love to have K.A. Applegate on the show. Uh, She's the author of Animorphs. Well, she and her husband both wrote Animorphs, but it was under K.A. Applegate as the pen name. And I just love her. Also, Elise Myers, again. I would love to talk to Elise Myers. The thousand D, million D people. Oh, I also forgot to mention that one of my favorite episodes is my interview with Petra Vega. That was just, like, an amazing conversation. And... (laughs) a really fun episode and I've re-listened to it a couple of times. So I like, I know it's really good. So go listen to that one. (laughs) Lots of good gems. And Petra is a fucking delight. What is something you love about yourself and being a neurodivergent creative since starting the podcast? So between Caitlin podcast, episode one and Caitlin podcast, episode 100, what changed and what is fun? quite a question. Uh, That one came from Kitty, who's on my content team. (laughs) Uh, And she likes to ask me very complicated questions. Uh, But very seriously, the biggest change from episode one to episode 100 has been that I am much more apologetic and willing to just be a human person. I used to really outline every episode and have like all kinds of bullet points and references that I wanted to make and everything was super planned out. And I'm like, okay, the purpose of this episode is to do this. And I was editing to the point where I didn't want you to hear me breathe. So anytime I took a breath, I would edit that out. Who, that's exhausting. And now I'm just like, I could talk about my handicap parking placard for 10 or 15 minutes. Let's just go. Let's just do that. Uh, and hey, it turns out that it's still resonating with people. And you don't have to super overproduce it. Ta-da. So I get to just show up and be me and talk about my experiences as a neurodivergent creative, which turn out to be very common among listeners and other neurodivergent creatives. Funny how that works. <laughs> Who did your jingle and why is it so adorable? My jingle was created, written, sung, and performed, like, all the way down by Ashton Powers, who is a friend, like, longtime friend, um, sometimes client, but always spiritual, (laughs) spiritual guiding light, uh, yeah, Ashton, I, I gave them very minimal directions. I was like, I just kind of want to jingle for the podcast. And they were like, uh, cool, what do you think about this? And it was just perfect. And I cried. So that's what I think about that. It's perfect. It's so good. It's so good. They also started teaching me how to play ukulele. And I've mostly forgotten everything that they taught me, but I can relearn. I believe in myself. Everybody needs a, everybody needs a creative friend on their team. Somebody who's like, let's just do something silly, like learn ukulele. What's the hardest part about having a weekly podcast? Um, The hardest part used to be recording and producing an episode every week. The hardest part now is just coming up with ideas that I haven't already talked about. Because once you're 100 episodes in, you're like, "Mm, I feel like I've talked about a lot of things already. But the nature of a podcast is like, that's fine. You can just say it again. You You can do the same thing again or in a slightly different way or whatever um but just making sure that i'm i'm saying stuff that is relevant and important and impactful like a hundred question ama that's super important for the world <laughs> why did you start a podcast that is a great question because i know a lot of stuff and i have a lot of opinions and people generally like them and so i figure okay if i can encourage my friends in these ways to embrace creativity and stop hustling etc. if i can talk about that in one conversation what if i could talk about that and reach thousands of people and that's why i started a podcast why this topic for the podcast that is also an amazing question and really comes down to the fact that i so it started as run like hell toward happy that was the name of the podcast originally And that is still like, when you go, if you go all the way back to the beginning of this podcast on whatever app you're using, besides YouTube, YouTube only has neurodivergent creative podcasts. We started YouTube a little late in the game, but um, if you go all the way back to the, you know, first seasons and stuff, and I'm not really doing them as seasons per se anymore, but they were about this idea of run like hell toward happy, which is going to end up being a book title. So keep an eye out for that in the future of me, um, which is this idea that as long as you have a point on the horizon to move toward, and you move toward that the people who keep up with you or who are going in the same direction, you know that those are your people. If People are trying to get you to like divert from that path and go toward their happy instead of your happy. Maybe not the people for you. Same with jobs, same with hobbies or like anything that takes up your time. If it doesn't align with you running like hell toward your happy, reevaluate. And that was the like guiding premise of the show at first, but that does not come across in the title, Run Like Hell Toward Happy. Um, it probably looks like a running podcast or something like that. Uh, and I'm not a runner. I used to be a runner. Used to be. We could talk about that. Um, maybe I should. Like lessons I learned from distance running as a former distance runner. I'm going to write that down. No, I won't. I'll forget. It's fine. Uh, somebody remind me. But. Now that it's the Neurodivergent Creative Podcast, that was so in line with who I already coach and who I resonate with, like my message, my coaching, my work, my services, everything I do, free or paid, aligns with the idea of neurodivergence and creativity. So that is why this topic, because it's fucking important and we need to talk about it more what is the coolest thing that's happened because of your podcast? I have an amazing answer for this. Um, And it is that um, September 16th, I was at Flaming River Con, which is a local queer geeky nerdy con. So it is the intersection of queerness and also geekdom. And that happens in Cleveland. And I went and had a table there and like was teaching a class. I taught a workshop there which was fucking awesome, by the way. And when I got back from teaching the workshop, my partner said, Oh, somebody stopped by and recognized you from your podcast. And I was like, what the fuck? What? Like I was recognized in the wild. And they came back around later. And it was someone who was recently diagnosed. um, I think ADHD, maybe I forget because I have ADHD. Um, But recently realized that they have a spicy brain as well. And so in their sort of online research for neurodivergent support, they found my show, they followed me on Instagram, I followed them back on Instagram. Neither of us knew that the other one was local. We actually both write for the Buckeye Flame, which is a local like Ohio-based queer publication. So we were right up against each other, like socially and professionally, and had no idea that like, Oh, that's you. Oh, that's you. And so I was able to meet them at the con. And so I just want to give a shout out to Dakota for making my absolute fucking day at that con. Um, That was like the coolest thing that has happened is somebody who found me from the show and then met me in the wild. I will treasure that until I die. Thank you. No pressure. What have you learned the most about Man, sound editing. What's your favorite episode so far and why? Um Oh shit. This got asked twice. Oh no, it's only a 99 question AMA cuz I already answered this one. Um but I will shout out to Petra Vega again. Hey, hey Petra. When do you record and is it hard to get quiet time? I record uh when I can. And now that I have a production team, thank every deity for my production team. I can just batch record like three or four at a time and then I just put them in a folder and then they just get published. And it, I could weep with relief over the pressure that this takes off because I used to have to like record and then edit and then make sure that like I had the show notes done and get it scheduled all. And I was doing this all like in the same week, which I'm actually doing, uh, I have another podcast that's like a passion fun hobby project um, where I'm rewatching Glee with a friend and we record a podcast about it. Um, And I have like about a year's backlog of that. And uh, it's the weight of it is crushing me. So subscribe to the good, the bad, and the ugly (laughs) so that you can give me words of affirmation that keep me going on that. Thanks. Bye. Um, Oh, wait, when do you record? And it's hard to get quiet time. I didn't actually answer the question. Um, So now I tend to record like four episodes, like a month is my target. And so I try to get like those four episodes recorded same day if I can. So I'll just like sit here and record like pew, 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 just make four or five recordings and then put all those in the folder. But the is it hard to get quiet time question? Yes and no. Uh, My partner works from home and he will sometimes just kind of like come check on me, or, you know, make sure that I've eaten or see if I need a refill on my water because he cares about me. That's nice. Uh, that sound is sarcastic. Like it actually is very nice, but it's like, because I am a little gremlin and I don't make sure that I'm hydrated. He has to, or like just if he's having like a rough day at work, he'll come in to talk to me. And so he will, he always opens the door very gently and peeks in. And if I have my headphones on or I'm obviously talking on a call, he just like, Goes right back out like a Homer Simpson into the bushes, which is precious. Um, Sometimes my dog barks. You've heard those Gwen moments. Uh, And sometimes my roommate, Brandon, his bedroom is right below the office and he works nights. So sometimes I can hear him snoring, (laughs) but it's never made it into a show. (laughs) So hard to find quiet time, kind of, but I still make it work. (laughs) sorry Brandon for putting your business on the internet where do you get your inspiration for episodes amazing question um sometimes I just have them like I'll just have an idea and then my brain is either like that would make a good Instagram post that would make a good email that would make a good podcast I can sort of like if I have a lot to say I'll usually do a podcast because I want to just kind of explore the topic If it is something that's kind of like quick and dirty, I might just put it as like a Facebook post or an email or something like that. So I'm having ideas all the time. And this is actually really funny because I used to think that I could only have like four good ideas a month. I was like, "No, I'm going to plan out four blog post ideas. And then that's all I'm going to write about. Because if I try to do more, I'll run out of ideas. That mentality will make you run out of ideas. The, the belief that I have now is that literally anything could inspire me every day, every minute could be inspiring. And I find this exceptionally true. One day we took Gwen for a walk in the morning and it was me and Brennan, my partner, and we're going on a walk. And because he had Gwen's leash, I was just sort of like looking around, observing things and I saw a frog just hopping along on the sidewalk and I picked him up so that we didn't step on him and I put him in a yard. And I was just like, I was near tears that I got to see a frog and I wouldn't have noticed the frog if I hadn't been like actively present in the moment on that walk. And then later on the same walk, I saw a hummingbird. And I was just like, look at all the wildlife that I see when I don't have to be the one being pissed off that the dog is chasing a squirrel. So, you know, I can turn that into anything. I can turn that about, I can turn that into like a lesson about presence. I can turn that into the meaning of quality time when we talk about love languages. Like, is it quality time to take a walk with the dog or not? I could turn that into a lesson. Like I've turned a lot of experiences with Gwen into posts or emails or something because, similar to the way that you have to like stop a dog from pulling and that that training process takes a lot of time and energy and treats and consistency that's how you retrain your brain to believe something else right like your your brain is going to pull on the leash and then you offer it a snack to stay next to you and you have to keep that up reliably and consistently in order to make that an automatic habit for your brain. So like literally, you guys, I find inspiration every single day in almost anything. Now, I also have human emotions. Like sometimes I'm hangry or sometimes I'm like, I don't know, overworked and busy. And I'm like, Ugh, I just, I don't want to do anything. I'm not inspired. Nothing is inspiring. Well, it is if I like unclench my butthole a little bit and like relax and maybe take a breath. (sighs) So that's how I get inspiration for my podcast episodes. And if I literally can't think of anything, then I ask Kitty and I'm like, Kitty, what do I talk about? And then Kitty gives me great ideas. Shout out to Kitty. I love you. Okay, next. (laughs) Uh, What was your first piece of art where you stood back and you're like, whoa, that's actually pretty good. I'm thinking of so many Um, when I was in like fourth or fifth grade, I want to say I drew a picture of my childhood home in colored pencil and it was featured in like the school art show. And that was probably the first time that I made a piece of art and felt really proud of it. But there were, there were others I made. I took a painting class in high school and I did this watercolor picture of glass vases and I don't know that I could recreate it now. And I like, it was extremely impressive. And my mom ended up with it. I don't know if she's thrown it away because she hates me uh, or if she still has it, she might. Cause it was a good piece of art. And I also did this monochrome, this beautiful purple monochrome scene of like a flowing river with like a little, like a very short waterfall. And I left that one at an ex's house when I moved all my stuff out. I forgot it and I regret it every day. This guy back here, very impressive. This guy back here, very impressive. I'm at a point in my life where I'm impressed with most of my art. I don't know, because I just think it's good. (laughs) Like it it doesn't have to be museum quality, famous painting level for me to be like, damn, okay, that's pretty good. Both of these paintings behind me were my first time trying a new technique and they turned out great, especially considering it was my first time trying new techniques. So like, honestly, every time I push myself and I think this one, this is the most complicated, coolest thing I've ever done. I do a pretty fucking good job with it. And honestly, it's amazing. I think I'm a good artist. I think you're a good artist already right now. You right here. Love you fucking love you. What is your favorite creative activity? Writing. Do you make art? What kind of art do you like? I do make art. Uh, Right now I'm very into collage, which is um, this this piece behind me. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, this is a scene of a park and half of the scene is spring and half of the scene is fall. And there's like a path that goes through the middle and it's honestly pretty epic. It came together better than I imagined. Um, and it's, it's like the first time that in a collage I was just pulling out like color from my magazine pages instead of images. So usually when I would do collage, it would be like vision board style and I would cut out something like a beautiful kitchen. Right. And I'm like, that's my dream kitchen. It goes on the vision board with this one. I was pulling out like elements. I was finding, grass. I was finding sky. I was finding tree. And I didn't need to be looking for like anything aspirational. And in fact, this kind of goes back to that inspiration thing is when basically anything in the correct color will work. You can make a sun out of a sponge. You can make a tree out of a glass. Like, There's no rules with collage aside from just get your point across. Like, look for the shape you need. Look for the color you need. It's really, it's an intuitive process. Like, I don't think that you could turn collage into something that's like, oh, simply um, just place part A here and part B here and part C here. Like, the whole time I was doing it, I was, like, holding it up and seeing, like, does this? how does this look in the finished piece? And... Like, how am I going to layer all these pieces and elements together? Because a very frustrating thing about art, like physical art and not digital art, is like, I can't relayer this. I can't say, oh, no, I want to put this tree a little bit further back. There's no layer tool. It's real. So I had to peel some stuff off and then re-glue it. (laughs) You also can't make anything bigger or smaller. (laughs) So when I've been, like, in Canva for a really long time, and then I go to do an art piece that is like actually manual, non-digital, analog, I don't know, tactile art. I'll be like really frustrated. I'm like, well, this is great, but I need it to be smaller. Why can't I just shrink it? And it's like, who boy, I'm like a toddler who's like used to iPads and I'm trying to like open a magazine with like a swipe. Real story, I've read about, I read about somebody whose toddler was trying to open a Time magazine at an airport by swiping it how has your writing evolved through your life? Boy, howdy. Um, I have embraced the first draft and that has changed my entire life. I used to be a final drafter. Like just, this is what I wrote. It gets my point across because I'm a very good writer and I know how to write things in a compelling way. Uh, There's good narrative flow, blah, blah, blah. But now that I am like writing a novel, writing a memoir, the fact that I can write enough of it to get the general shape there. And then I go through and revise once, twice, maybe even more than that. Sorry, we're having a Gwen moment. Hi, Gwen. You're fine. You're okay. Having the main shape of the writing process or the writing piece done and then going back in to refine and add details is something that I have had to learn. And I think that that is what stops a lot of like neurodivergent perfectionist types who were gifted in school is because you're probably able to wing it because you knew what the expectation of the teacher was. And so now that there's no teacher and no rubric and you're like ha, I don't even know how to do stuff anymore. It's cuz we don't have like the structure of knowing the expectation, especially with something like a novel or a memoir, because that's not about the reader. Like the process of writing that is for you to get whatever the spirit of that story is, like out of you and onto the pages. It's it's I'm doing like a motion that's like weaving, you know, like I I'm gonna put the raw fiber of a story on a spinning wheel and turn it into something useful. Mm. So you're be inspired about anything, you guys. I'm trying to tell you this. Anything. <laughs> what made you want to work with writers? Uh, I didn't know that I wanted to work with writers until they started flocking to me. And I was like, oh, I coach writers. I coach neurodivergent writers. I coach queer, neurodivergent, chronically ill, disabled writers. You'd think it's a small niche. It's not. I keep finding you motherfuckers. Come aboard. I love you. If you had time travel powers, like in your book, what would you do with them? Uh, Well, if the book is any indication, I would try to fix my childhood and fuck up my whole life. (laughs) Stay tuned for Lepidoptera. (laughs) Okay, next up is neurodivergent questions. When were you diagnosed as neurodivergent of some sort? So this would be like 2019, 2018, 2019. It was post-divorce. So I'm 30, 31, and I went in to start with a new therapist. And just in my first conversation with her, describing all the things I do, this is my full-time job, this is my social life, this is my business, and all the stuff that I do for my business, she just kind of pulls back and goes, have you ever been evaluated for ADHD? And I was like, no, do you think I have ADHD? And she gave me this checklist, and she looked at it, and she was like, yeah, You're going to want to see a psychiatrist. (laughs) Uh, So that was how I got my ADHD diagnosis. But my first depression diagnosis was actually at 14. And that technically counts because mental illness is a neurodivergence. But as far as the autistic ADHD part of that, uh, it would be roughly in my early 30s. Great. Look at all the fun support I got as a child. (laughs) and young adult. Oh, no. Okay. Uh, Did you suspect before the diagnosis? Uh, No, I had no idea. Well, I had an inkling that I was autistic. um, But at the time, I was still sort of pathologizing autism as like a thing that you have, like, oh, I have autism disorder. And so I was very internally ableist toward myself about that? Like, no, I couldn't be autistic because I'm not like, I'm not like a kid who's lining up all his trains, you know? Turns out, yes, huh? Because I get really fucking mad when anybody messes up the Pyrex cabinet. So the signs were there. I didn't necessarily put any of those clues together until my thirties. Hooray! How have you turned your neurodivergence into a superpower that works for you instead of against you? Amazing question. And uh, honestly, I quit my fucking job and designed a job and work life that works for me and my brain and my needs. Not everybody can do that. But whatever, this is an AMA, not an advice. But I'm going to use this AMA as a thing for new topics because I want to talk more about that. Uh, What are your safe foods? I used to be able to say Chipotle. But Chipotle has gone fucking downhill and their rice is now bad at least 50% of the time. It's either overcooked or undercooked or over-oiled or under-seasoned or something. And I just need you guys to get your shit fucking together. Okay? Thank you. Macaroni and cheese. Next. What food do you not like that you wish you did? I guess pumpkin pie. (laughs) What's your go-to stim? Um, I make a lot of sounds. So, I will kind of like sing during the day or I'll make like little pop noises. I'm a vocal stimmer. Um, but then also I have a baby blanket with satin edges. This is one of the clues from childhood. <laughs> uh ever since I was born, I have had a satin-lined baby blanket. Obviously, I've gone through dozens of them in the years. Cause I was hard on them as a kid. Don't know what the fuck was going on. Um, but I've had this one for over a decade now. Um, and I just like, I will rub the satin edge or I will like rub it on my upper lip or like between my nose and upper lip. And that is, that is one of like my relaxing stems okay, great. Um, I also do patterns with my, um, fingers. So like, if I'm anxious, I'll start tapping myself in different patterns. And I've done that since childhood as well. Never knew it was stimming until I had the word for it. That there, there are three favorite resources for learning more about ADHD books or podcasts or anything. Um, I would say like social media accounts, Um, Neurodivergent Rebel. Uh, My friend Mattia Marais has an ADHD flourishing, I believe is the name of their podcast, that is about ADHD specifically. So that's when you are autistic and ADHD, which is just a special blend, (laughs) a special blend of delight. Um, So their podcast is really great. Jennifer Alambaugh. I am having trouble remembering that like their brand name. I want to say it's like neuro, neuroinclusive inclusive expressions or something like that. I'm so fucking sorry. I know it neuro expansive something. I'm going to put it in the show notes. My apologies. I have ADHD, but they do a lot of content and training and talking about, um, Neuro inclusion, like in the workplace. So, I think that is especially helpful for people because getting accommodations in the workplace when you're neurodivergent is fucking hard and it's hard on you too. I keep making this advice instead of an AMA. More to come. At what point in your life did you know you were neurodivergent and how did that knowledge affect how you approach creativity? So, as I said before, I was like officially diagnosed and started absorbing the fact that I'm neurodivergent in my early 30s. So I would say that like, that's the point in my life where I knew. So like, honestly, my my life can be divided into like before 30 and after 30, which is to say like being actively traumatized and then healing from trauma. How did it approach or affect how you approach creativity? I I'm not sure if it's necessarily part of the neurodivergent journey or not. Um, but when I started accepting that creativity is part of play, that it's it's just for our brains to have fun and enjoy making things, that changed everything for me. So I'm not sure if that was necessarily like wrapped into realizing I was neurodivergent, but that was something that I was learning around the same time that I was realizing I was neurodivergent. Man, I think I'm going to have to divide this into two podcasts because I'm already at like 45 minutes and we got a lot of questions left. So I'm going to stop us here and then I will be back with more of your questions. Okay. Stay hydrated, make some art, be creative. I love you. You're amazing. Bye. Thanks for spending this time with me, Neurodivergent Creative. If you would like to harness the absolute audacity to be your brightest, boldest, rebellious, most creative self, I invite you to download the Audacity Bill of Rights, available at audacityarchives.com, and this will put you on my email list to get a weekly dose of audacity right to your inbox. I would also love to shout out Ashton Powers, who wrote my opening jingle and is strumming the ukulele right now, and also shout out the Pancake Copycats, who are my podcast and video producers. This team of amazing neurodivergent creatives that I have been able to cultivate is life changing. Okay, go out there, make some weird art, have the audacity, and stay hydrated. I love you. Bye!